Restored Gospel Podcast is happy to have a first today. The first time we've had a co-host, a guest that wasn't uh, here for Stories of the Saints. We'd like to welcome Adam Gard into the studio. Brother Corey has been working fiendishly these last uh, several weeks. He's been driving from here to Texas and all over, and I don't think he's really had a day off. And so we remember him today, but we will continue two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you today into that. Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Adam, welcome. I'm glad you're here today. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. So... People don't know, but this is actually take two because I forgot to hit the record button. So I actually did that on purpose so that Adam would feel more comfortable. Uh, I thought I'd make a mistake or two, but um, no, thank you for coming. Through the years, Adam and I have had lots of conversations about Jesus, and today we're just two friends here recording that conversation. Um, a couple of things that you've shared with me recently, and just reading through the Book of Mormon, I had never considered or pondered or thought about before, and I want to just talk about that again today, like we did before in that conversation, I think it'll be beneficial to answer a couple of pertinent questions that's been brought up recently by everything going on. Um, you know, I heard something this past week in a podcast that I was listening to, and this man was sharing a story that uh, his mom had died three weeks ago, and his mother in her later years had been really sick and had a bunch of health problems and she was finally getting over those and coming back to like being her normal active self and his kids had all only known her as being sick. And so they lived uh, far away from each other and he was looking forward to making a trip back so that his children could see the mom that he remembered, you know, as she was feeling better and then suddenly died. Right. And he said, he was asked by the host, he she said, well, what, what are some things you're feeling that you didn't expect? And he said, well, I don't know, but he kind of summed it up. He goes, I guess like this isn't okay. This isn't okay that this happened. This isn't the way it was supposed to be. And he said, you know, not just from a personal standpoint, but he said, zooming out and looking at the big picture, everything, this COVID-19, this worldwide pandemic, suffering like this isn't the way it's supposed to be it's not okay it's not okay that the world's like this and um and on the one hand we know it is it is the way it's supposed to be andy gillahorn we listened to a song this morning um that that talked about that this is exactly the way it's supposed to be you know supposed to be in opposition in all things god planned the world with all of this sadness and things for a reason but we also know like it's not okay to stay this way. And I'm I'm when I listened to this, I thought of all of the people in the news and the media and across the country and the division wanting people want everything to be okay and perfect. Yep. And that's where the division comes from and it's based out of fear and you know, we don't want to deal with this and we want everything to go back and we want things to be perfect, but until we all realize like this isn't okay. This world isn't okay the way it is. And these things are going to continue to happen until God comes back and makes a new creation the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is so so interesting because I was just thinking about all these things last night. 
Um, but if you think about, you know, if the world could be the way, the best that we could imagine it, we would still be missing out on so much of what God desires for us. And it's sad that we're, uh, we're willing to, to limit ourselves just to the best of our imagination. And even, and that's, and that's saying that if everybody was healthy, we rid the world of disease and famine and, and hunger and uh, pestilence and all of you know, murder and, and violence and political um, partisanship and all of the things that we think are the worst things going on. If we, if we rid the world of that and each man could look at the world and say, this is perfect. How great is what God has for us that it is still greater still than the best that we could imagine. Yeah. And I think there's going to come a day and, and this I'd like, I mean, we'll get into this, but I think there's going to come a day when we realize that the best we had to do here was to trust that that day is coming and that there is something so much greater. And we see that principle laid out everywhere in the world. I mean, everywhere in our lives in the world, um, you know, whether it's uh, you know, looking at a career or, or perfecting a skill or something like that, it's always, there's always a period of, of dismay, of discouragement, of um, you know, living less than trying to reach a goal. And the only thing is, is, is in this life, when we, when we do that, um, we find out that even when we reach our goal, it still leaves us wanting, it's still lacking. But I think there's something in the way God's asked us to to exist here and live here and trust him here um, that leads us to something that, that does not lack and it does not want. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the thing that keeps me going. And I hear, I just, the other day I heard of another um, famous Christian who who has left the faith. And, you know, they, they put out a letter and everything like that and they let their fans know or, or, or their readers know or whoever it is. And it breaks my heart and it breaks my heart twofold that you see people being so um, angry and, and bitter and, and judgmental um, because really these people are, I mean, just like you and I, they're living a page in their life, you know, and I try to tell my kids, don't, don't judge people by where they are in their story right in this moment, allow them the grace to, mm-hmm. you know, to turn the page and to, um, to make the, the necessary changes and to uh, you know, give God time to, to reveal himself in their life in a more undeniable way. Um, but the sad thing to me is, is, is how close we get to being willing to deny him um, all based on these, these earthly temporal situations and scenarios. And I think um, the danger is, is that we're, we're, we're willing to, uh, to miss out on so much because things are, are rough here. And it just doesn't, you know, even if you say, okay, I don't believe in God anymore and you take him out of the equation, you're still going to have all these trials. It doesn't make, you know what I'm saying? Just because you take the person that you want to blame out of the equation doesn't get you rid of the, the trials. It doesn't get you rid of all yeah, the, something else will step in. Something else will step in to be a trial, you know? Exactly. Right? Yeah. We, that's the thing, you know, if it's, <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you on that. You know, um, one of the things, not too long ago, just I think the last week, I may have told you, and this is maybe going a little more personal in my life, but um, a lack of peace, 
you know, mm-hmm. and I, I've noticed that in my life. Um, especially I think, well, these past few weeks or month has brought that out more. I realized that my days were more fragile where it took less and less to get me off kilter. And I, and I realized I was really balancing on, uh, you know, I was really holding on to certain temporal things to just keep my mind sane during this time. Cause I miss so much of my life's changed. I miss the community and being out and studying in public and talking to people that I'd meet. And I just, you know, all that's gone away. So anyway, we all have things to deal with, but that being missing, I, I was really, you know, there are certain things I was holding on to to keep me going. And I realized if those moved during the day or were taken away, you know, I would just fall apart and emotionally or, or spiritually just like, wow. So I thought, what is keeping me so, like, why am I so heavy inside? Why do I have a lack of peace? But anyway, completely by surprise, I got an email this week that um, found out that there's talk of assembly of people coming together to pray for the Lord. We call it a solemn assembly in our in our faith. Um, and when I read about this and that we were going to be discussing it at the church I go to, I immediately was angry. And I was, I guess I didn't realize how angry or why. And so I started thinking about that. Why does that make me angry? And I realized, Adam, and this, God already knows this, so I don't care about bringing it out, maybe it'll help other people that over the past decade, over the years that I have harbored inside such anger and contempt for certain people in leadership positions in the church, because I felt like uh, a while ago, you know, we all came together to try to strive to be one and there was division. And I felt like those that are continually in positions of leadership that are appointed there or that we look to for leadership we're so worried about authority and who has the right to lead and all of this that the flock was just being scattered and sheep were being lost. And what we really needed was food. We needed food, and that food is Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus. And I just saw that missing in the restoration as we talk about lineage and authority and all of these things. So anyway, my heart has grown hard over the years, and especially— uh, a couple incidents in the last several years where I saw just hard-heartedness among different groups, whether it's refusing to let other groups use a campground or um, refusing to let certain ministers participate at camps and things because of things they may have said or believe. And I just thought that's terrible to treat one another that way. And it got to the point that some of these men that were involved in these decisions, when I saw that they were trying to bring saints together or talking about it, I didn't want anything to do with them. I said, if they're involved, forget that. I don't even want to go there, you know. And in talking this out with our pastor, uh, I confessed my sins, told him where I was at, and, and just had a dialogue through email. I realized that some of these things I'd been upset about had actually been reconciled and that people had gone and tried to repair what they'd done. And so that was a big step for me, seeing that that was done. But even after I read that last email interchange, I walked away and I was getting ready for work yesterday and I was thinking, God, how? How can I go to a prayer service or a worship service and not start to get cynical during that and remember all of the things that these people did, especially if they're speaking there, how do I do that? And how can I sit there and truly honestly want to come and just worship God with others, right? 
And I didn't hear a voice from heaven. I didn't hear any of that, but it was so clearly ingrained into my heart as I was just that all of a sudden it was like this knowledge was just infused to my soul. It's like, you know, sometimes you study and you got to write things down so you don't forget, but it was like, this was just there. There was no way I was going to forget it. And, and basically the understanding was this, when you hold a grudge against other people, when you're unable to forgive them or your heart turns heart towards them, what you're really doing is you're taking sins, all of their sins and all of your sins, and you're lining them up in order and you're placing their sins at the front of the line that are worse than yours. And the question was coming to me, do you really believe this? Do you believe you're not as bad a sinner as them? And my, my thought honestly was, no, I know I'm a mess. I have so many things wrong in my life. But it's like, but you're ranking your sins. You think because even if it's refusing to allow someone to use a campground, you think that that's worse than what you struggle with in your own life. That's just their shortcoming for that time for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And when I thought about that, I just felt this freeness. And it's like somehow recognizing my own my own sins, my own shortcomings allowed me to not have to judge other people so hard because it's like, that's their struggle. It's different than mine. My struggle is the same. Doesn't mean one's worse than the other. And so you're free then to like pray that they can overcome their shortcomings. But if we all go to God on the same level and like we're all sinners and there's no ranking of worse than, because we all, that's and that's what we do when we hold a grudge. We're mm-hmm. ranking our sins against <laughs> someone else's, right? Right. Standing them up together and on a scale, maybe is a better way, theirs are heavier than ours. And so we feel that we're justified in holding that grudge. Mm-hmm. And I have felt, I just, yesterday I thought about that all day. It's one of those days you leave the radio off and I just thought about that. And the scriptures come to mind where they say, you know, if you forgive your brother, I will forgive you. That's what it was, that peace. It's like, but he helped me see that. There's no reason to hold. I mean, it sounds so like such a duh moment. Like, well, we all know that, but it's like, but in my heart, my heart didn't wasn't wasn't thinking about what I was doing. Right. No, that's a. I think that's a common, a common response, especially within the restoration. I know it's one I've struggled with, and uh, no, that's beautiful. I'm so happy that you, you had that experience. That's well, wonderful. I I honestly say like I can look forward to going together with a group of saints, and not having any prejudice yeah. against them. And if it starts to creep in, my first thought has to be. How many things has God forgiven you for just today before you've arrived to church? Can you really sit here and hold a, a grudge against someone else or a yeah. grievance? No. Yeah, we've got to, you know, Scripture's true when it says, keep your eyes single to the glory of God. And the minute we start wavering and zeroing in hardcore either on our own sins or the sins of others, we've taken our eyes off him. Um, and I, it's my testimony that any a solemn assembly that will be successful as far as uh, people coming together and hearing the word of the Lord, you know, as it applies to us today, uh, the only way that's a, that's going to be successful is if people humble themselves. And, you know, it's neat that I hear you, this testimony you're sharing because it's not only about you seeing, I mean, as far as I'm, what I'm gathering from what you're saying, it's not just about you seeing you know, the kind of the equality of our sin, but it's, it's allowing you to, to go to a place of humility and humbling yourself in preparation for it. And that's, that's what I like to see. And that's what I hope everybody um, 
can come to in preparation for that is to be able to to think about the person that drives them the craziest mm-hmm. within the church, the person they're angry at, the person whose um, doctrine and ideas are are as errant as you could possibly imagine. And then imagine yourself sitting next to that person and having an experience where you know, the love of God is poured out on you so richly that you can look at that person and go, ah, I know how God loves you now. And now I, you know, because of that, I can love you too. Um, that's the change of heart. I think that has to take place um, within the body of Christ. Yeah. And what, what's crazy is just a week before a good friend of mine had gone to a meeting and, um, and it told me, you know, they were at this meeting and they were discussing these things. And um, I'm not, and I'm not sharing anything confidential. People have been mentioning this for months now. I think there's been talk in the wind of coming mm-hmm. together. Um, but he told me that, and immediately I was angry then. And I was like, and I even said back, I said, those guys need to repent. And I was just so mad that, um, that you know, at the continuing themes and everything, when we come together, it's like, can we just focus on the blood of Jesus and what he's done for us? And I said, those guys, and, and he said, we all need to repent. And I said, yeah, I know. But like, but in my mind, I thought, no, I'm not doing anything till I hear them say, we have failed to lead the, but you know what? That's <laughs> right. not for me to say. What for me, what, what I need to say is, if you, when I got up yesterday morning, if you had asked me what's keeping you from God, I could probably list off ten sins that I struggle with, or you know, I do these every day and I can't overcome them. But this came out of nowhere. Like I didn't realize over the years how this had been causing a barrier between me and mm-hmm. my Savior. And it's all through the Scriptures. You know, if if you don't forgive others, then I can't forgive you. If you, um, well, <laughs> having hard heart or or discouraging thoughts about other people is the same thing that needs to be forgiven of. Now, whether I'm, you know, it's between me and God, and I mean, he, it's just a different feeling today. I'm so yeah. I just felt lighter yesterday. I mean, I felt so lighter and and happy, man, that I didn't have to struggle with that. I didn't realize how much it was dragging me down over years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's the power that allows us to you know, to read Matthew. You know, when Jesus is, is giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he ends up by saying, "You know, to love your enemies and do good to them that that I'm going to get this wrong, um, hurt you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and right. persecute you." And and those are those are amazingly insane. I mean, he's either he's either. Um, speaking from a wisdom that we we can't naturally touch, or he's insane. I mean, it's those are those are some really crazy things to say, and it's this you know, what you're talking about now is that that power to begin to understand because he says at the end of all of that, you know, he says that God makes the rain to to fall on the just and the unjust, and that's when he goes on to say, "Be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect," which is a verse that we struggle with. You know, I think probably because we're we're uh, Americans in 2020, but um, I really think that that verse is touching on, you know, when he says, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. I think he's saying, adopt this quality of God mm-hmm. that he's willing to reign on the just and the unjust. And, um, you know, he's willing to see the whole story through and he's, he's asking us to be patient and not to close the book on our enemies and on those who have hurt us. And, you know, it's one thing and I've, and I've experienced, precisely what you're talking about when it's, when it's like kind of the affecting the group and you see somebody who's in a position of, you know, that you see as responsible and, and you can think of all the, the ways you would things do things differently if you had their, their power and their clout. But 
you know, this, the test of this forgiveness and things like that, it takes on a whole new face when it's directly at you, you know, when it is an enemy, when it is somebody who, mm-hmm. who seeks your demise, whether it's you know, spiritually, emotionally, physically, you know, whatever it yeah. is. And that's, that becomes a whole nother level and you, you have to go, well, you're telling me <laughs> that I hurt so badly and they're, um, their sins aren't any worse than mine. And that's, that's a wrestle. Mm-hmm. That's a real wrestle. Um, yeah. So, so I think you have to, boy, I'm just, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear this. This is great. This well, is that's, really great. That's the, that's the rub. First of all, like, I think maybe we have in our mind when we hear enemies, you know, somebody standing at the door with a gun wanting to kill your family or whatever, but you know, more often than not, I think it's people in the church that should be our friends, and they are our friends, but but there's a spirit that comes in, and whether it's a different belief or a different way of approaching things, they very quickly, that that um, that friction is an enemy to your soul. Yeah. Whether you look at that person and say, I hate them and I want them dead. No, but but that friction between the two of you, that is an enemy. Those are, that is an enemy to your soul, that spirit, and... Um, and I'm very much aware when I meet together and if I see any of those things come in or, or the, the quickness to judge or cast other groups out or say you're not worthy, that there's going to be a battle there. But I have to remind myself this is just a sin. This is a misunderstanding. God can correct this, but you have your own things to deal with. Give them grace. Give them mercy. <laughs> right. Pray for them. Pray for them because what else is going to you, you you can debate them all. Nobody knows us better than anything. Now you can debate people all day long. You're not going to change their mind. Nope. But God can. Right. Only the Holy Spirit can. I mean, yesterday when I woke up at 630 and when I went to bed last night, my heart was in a completely different place. I don't know. That wasn't because I had a great debate with someone, but a brother shared very honestly in an email. The Holy Spirit carried that to my heart, and uh, I was changed. And I will say – the fact that that knowledge became available, that certain men had made acts of repentance, had been had taken steps to correct what they did, I think that's a part of the process that allowed my heart to be softened a bit. But but the truth is, even if that doesn't happen, you still have to love people that don't. I mean, Jesus says, "Forgive those that are killing me." They weren't repenting. I still have to be above that. But that's yeah. that's an important part, I think, when we do. I think that's why when we offend or, or when other people have been offended and we know it, for them to know that you've taken a step to repair what you've done, that that does help them heal. Um, yeah, and it's, I think that's, boy, that is so important. And here's the thing. How many times, um, well, I know I've experienced a lot. I don't, I don't want to, that was a weird way to phrase that question, but. I can't tell you how many times that I've had to uh, be involved in you know, some kind of, you know, knowing that there's a problem between two people or groups of people, whatever. And when you go to people and say, um, you know, we've got to, you got to forgive your enemies. You got to, there's always this workaround. It's like, well, he's not my enemy. He doesn't want to kill me. He doesn't yeah. want to, it's like, there's, there's, there's friction in the body. You know, you can't be one. You can't be his if you're not one, you know, that's what he says. And, and so I, I, I think we're really good about rewording our, it's like when, you know, your, your, your kids are like, well, well, why are you mad? I'm not mad. I'm angry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. The effect is the same. You know, I want to get to the bottom of this. Um, I'll and, forgive you, but I'll never forget. <laughs> yeah. And that's, 
but that's where we uh, we're so good about about you know playing playing these word games and and I think you bring up a really good point that the it's not it's not an enemy necessarily that's that's at your your door with a gun that wants to um, you know, harm your family was certainly that I mean we've heard so many stories whether it's Corey Tinboom or um, well, I can't remember the lady's name there's a lady from Rwanda I heard a, an amazing testimony about um, you know after that whole ordeal was over she um, they all you know go back to their homes and everything and now they're neighbors with men that butchered literally butchered their families mm. and and um, the power that, that God gave her to forgive you know in that instance and so you look at things like that and then you compare it to our <laughs> Well, they they wanted the blue carpet, and I just know red is right. And that's an issue for me. I mean, I went to art school. I know colors. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> People, it doesn't matter about the floor. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think it's it's we've got to be careful and recognize that um, unity and the, the the. I feel like I'm losing my train of thought here. I, I got too focused on them. Um, it's all right. Colors. But uh, yeah, I think it's important that we, we don't water down um, what it is uh, God's asking us to do in the, in the realm of forgiveness. And if, even if there's a misunderstanding, you know, if, if you do or say something and you're completely unaware of how it affected me and I carry that and I make you an enemy in my heart, then the same still applies. Right. And that's where, that's the beauty of the gospel where, you know, even if you don't know that I see you as my enemy, I'm still responsible to treat you with love. I'm still responsible to hold you up in prayer. And yet we want to, we want to somehow say, well, he's not my enemy. Um, therefore there's this loophole where I don't have to, right. Um, I don't have to do these things. I'll figure out how not to. Yeah. You know. And that's, I guess that's what I'm, I'm trying to get at is that, you know, we need to we need to be honest and and realize that uh, so so great he's not your enemy then you know why on earth can't you worship together why on earth can't you minister together why on earth you know all of these things that that we um, well you were talking to me so not too long ago you shared something with me is really cool something that you said you came out just reading the Book of Mormon talk about Alma and the sons of Mosiah that were going around persecuting the church. And we were talking about, um, well, what you saw in their background kind of brought a little more light to that story. Remember that? Yeah. Um, and this is, <laughs> these are things what I'm about to share is just, you know, I have moments sometimes reading the scripture where you, you kind of start to see a bigger picture, even though it's not spelled out word for word. And that may really, you know, send some people in a tizzy. So um, some of the stuff I'm going to say today, I'll just qualify by saying it's not spelled out. But I would, just in things that you and I shared, um, you know, I kind of started to be able to see a bigger picture that was happening here. And it's really interesting to me when you start seeing um, the the things that are mentioned. And you're like, well, why was that? Mm -hmm. That's a really weird one-line you know, detail. Um but I was reading during uh, I was at on my lunch break at work. You remember back when we had jobs, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, I was in uh, Mosiah eleven, and you know just as a I guess as a uh, uh, 
I mean, a, a refresher. You know, Alma, the younger, ends up being the. I think he's the greatest missionary we have record of in the the Book of Mormon. It's the longest book, and the things that he encounters with, I mean, the faith, it's just is astounding, and um, it's just one of my favorite things to go through. And um, you know, boy, it's like if I if I ever want to when I when I'm when I'm praying and when I'm struggling with life, and I imagine how I want to be, it's like this is what I want to get to. I yeah, wanna, I want to be able to struggle. I want to be able to sit naked in a prison. And worship. Yeah, I'm <laughs> and not I, with you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize how weird that just sounded. But <laughs> I say that because it actually happened to Alma, and he right. he came through it. Him and Amy, like you know, they came through that with. He's like the Paul of the New Testament, exactly. Yeah, and so, um, boy, I really am regretting putting that on record that I want to sit naked in prison. But I just meant I say that because I'll edit it out. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the um, going to be the title for this episode. Yeah, yeah. See? Naked and imprisoned. Adam's um, desire. I say that because <laughs> when you read that, to me, that's the one thing you go, "Oh God, please no, please no, please yeah. no, please no." I'll do anything, but please no. Um, but what I mean is to be able to face that thing that just terrifies me, and to do it with grace and faith. Not to mention the abusings and you know, the beatings and the the starving and everything else. But so you're. You're picturing no clothes in prison. I'm picturing a wall full of spiders in prison. That's right. <laughs> if, if there's a please no, please no moment, it would be that. See, I can't stomp out nakedness, I guess. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go so, ahead. Bullseye 11. So, yeah. So that's that's what we're leading up to is this this man and, and his life. Um, if you jump back to when presumably he was a child, we have no record of his birth. We don't know how many children Alma the senior had. Um, and so we really don't know, in fact, if if he was born or alive during these times. But as I was reading through this account, I just had one of those moments where it's like, you know, the light kind of shines on the, on the verse. And all of a sudden it just, it just uh, all started unfolding for me. But um, even farther back, Alma 11 is or I'm sorry, Mosiah 11 is when um, you know if you if you if you're familiar with the story, Alma Senior has already left. You know he's already encountered Abinadi. He's already left um, the town that the the city that they're living in. He's in the wilderness with his followers, um, and a lot has happened. You know to the people that stayed behind in the city. Um, you know, Lamanites have entered in. There's all of these these kind of uh, crisscrossings of, of of peoples and um, uh, encountering each other. Um, and another factor, you know, another character that's going to play into the story is the the priests of Noah. And this is King Noah of the Book of Mormon. He was a bad guy. Just yes, I've clarifying. become <laughs> quite aware that King Noah never did any good and was always bad. But uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> razzing you on air. Um, <laughs> this is how it is, folks. Um, so the high priest of Kino, they've taken off into the wilderness and they encountered the daughters of the Lamanites. They kidnapped them. They take them away. And I don't know if there's some Stockholm syndrome, what's going on, but at some point they convince the daughters to be the wives. And so now you've got the, the wicked high priest out in the wilderness and they're, um, they're married to the, the Lamanite daughters Alma's people, um, they have some pretty great success. And they, in fact, they even get to a place where they've 
um, established a city called Helam. And it says that uh, um, they had, it says, it says, they they began to prosper exceedingly in the land, and they called the land Helam. That's verse 21. And it came to pass that they did multiply and prosper exceedingly in the land of Helam, and they built a city, which they called the city of Helam. Nevertheless, the Lord sees fit to chasten his people, yea, he trieth their patience and their faith. Nevertheless, whoever puts his trust in him, the same shall be lifted up at the last day. Yea, thus it was with his people. And that alone right there, that verse 23, you know, you're skating along in the story and you're really rooting for Alma and his people. And you get to this verse where you know, it just flat out says, and this is something we have got to wrestle with as a people, but it flat out says, nevertheless, the Lord did see fit to chasten his people. Yea, he trieth their patience and their faith. And that is such an offensive thing to our our modern sensibilities. And we have this idea that God wants everything to be perfect for us. And when things happen contrary to our idea of perfection, our immediate prayers are for you know, relief, which you know, we're given that right and that liberty by God to pray for those things. I'm not, I'm not countering that, but our, our, our response is always um, that this thing has to go away. Mm-hmm. And what I'm, what I'm simply offering up and is kind of what we've already talked about is that when we, you know, when we read these stories, you know, we always, um, you know, we, we look to scripture for all these examples. And the thing that's fascinating to me about this scenario is that when we, um, when we're faced with something either as a people or on a personal level and we go to scripture and we're like, well, how, how is this handled in scripture? We always go to the, you know, the, the, the big um, successful campaigns, right. you know, Captain Moroni or, or Nephi, you know, Nephi built the boats and he, and those are all, I mean, those are great things to look to. Um, but how many times have we been, has life been going good and something has come along that completely disrupted us? And we go, well, how does scripture handle this? Oh, okay. Well, it says here that they just trusted God and they endured it. And what ends up happening is that these people, these good people um, who have seen nothing but blessing and nothing but, but um, you know, success with the Lord, and they've prospered and, and grown and, and succeeded, uh, what ends up happening through the next um, several verses is that uh, the Lamanites— you know, a group of Lamanites comes through and takes them over. And then um, those wicked high priests, you know, that I mentioned earlier, they, they factor back in and um, his, uh, his name is Amulon. And it says that, uh, you know, the, the leader of those high priests. And basically when the Lamanites and the high priests collide, you know, the daughters are like, whoa, 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 we love them. These guys are okay. And so they, they find favor with the Lamanite king and the Lamanite king's like, yeah, okay, you know, I'll, I'll give you power. And so he basically sets this guy Amulon over the people of, of Alma. And this is a story that probably the most familiar thing to people, uh, to people would be um, when they, they were basically made into slaves and, you know, their burdens were heavy and they weren't allowed to pray. Um, and so they prayed in their heart and the Lord lightened their burdens. And that's a, that's a really neat testimony to be able to look to. Um, but the, the thing that really jumped out at me when I was reading through this was that uh, it says, now it came to pass that Amulon began to exercise authority over Alma and his brethren 
and began to persecute him and cause that his children should persecute their children. Oh, the children. The children. Right. Yeah, so see, and when I read that, I mean, it was like someone with a megaphone in my ear going, Alma the Younger, Alma the Younger. And I had never, I had never thought that far ahead in the story, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, now it, you know, now knowing knowing how the story ends, but you're rereading it, I had never, um, I never thought of that. And so, all of a sudden, you see this picture of this young family who um, was were made slaves. And I'm just trying to wrap my head around this condition of, okay, we've spent our whole life on the move. You know, that was hard enough. We've lived in the wilderness. We've done all of these things. We've been obedient. The Lord's blessed us. And here we are in this situation now where we're slaves. Not only are we slaves, it, it appears that we're slaves for no reason. It's just to be just to be destroyed. They're, they're, yeah. We're just here so they can, can burden us and abuse us and afflict us. And all of a sudden, he's getting bullied. He's by getting the other. He's getting bullied, and he's and 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 you know, the man who's in charge is giving his kids specific instructions. You go after Alma's kids. Mm-hmm. Man, what what kind of head game is that? Right? May cause a little resentment down the road. Down the road. Why is God? Why is a good God let bad things happen to quote good people? You ever hear that question before? Yeah. <laughs> and so so, yeah. so what you see is if you jump ahead again. Um, the people within the church are so um, they, there's there's certain people that become so sinful that Alma doesn't know what to do. He's never encountered this problem, and so he takes it to the king. He says, "King Amaziah, buddy, listen, these people are really you know, messing around here, and I need you to take care of it." And Amaziah, you know, in his wisdom, he's like, "Yeah, that's not that's not a king problem. That's a that's a high priest problem," and. The the point the point of the prayer that I'm trying to make is that Alma's praying, what do I do for these people about these people that are sinning? And there's this beautiful explanation of um you know, basically how beautiful and how blessed you are when you obey and, and how important that is. But God gives him the the authority to to tell them you cannot be here, you cannot be a part of this. And that is something we really struggle with today. Um in fact, when it comes to sin within the body, we land on on you know, either side of the line where it's like, well, we've got to love them. And so we kind of let anything go and people, and we've all experienced this. We've all experienced, um, you know, the sins in the body, um, that go unrepented. The other side of the coin is just an immediate ostracization. You're cast out. You're no longer one of us and, you know, dust off the hands. Good. You're gone. And there seems to be those only those two extremes. And the point that I want to get to about the prayer is that Alma's going through all of this, and he's really struggling to know what to do. He prays, and God tells him, "You've, you've got to. You know, if these people are going to do this, then they've got to be. They can't participate. They can't be a part of this church." And that seems like a really hard um, line to draw. The thing that really impressed on me when I was reading through this is when you go a little bit further, you get to Alma the younger and the sons of Mosiah. And I just got to wondering when it starts talking about all the things that they were doing, I got to wondering if in fact they were not actively doing what they were doing at the time that Alma had to pray that prayer. And we don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but just imagine that you've got a prayer prayer, but what do I do about all of these dissenters, all of these, all of this sin in the church, knowing full good and well that your son is, is one of those. Um, that's a hard prayer to pray. But I think it, you know, would be to to Alma's credit 
that he was uh, willing to to be that honest and forthright with God. When he prays that prayer and he's he's given that instruction and he has, to, you know, let's imagine that he does have to apply that to his own son. Um, and I just, like I said, it doesn't spell it out, but you can just see how that, you know, being told that you can no longer participate, you can't be here. Um, and we've, I mean, you and I have had personal experiences where we've had to talk to people about about the sin in their life and have them get up and leave, not wanting to um, to hear it and, and confront that kind of a thing. But um, just you just know that that is the perfect setting for for Alma going, okay, forget you and, and taking off and going out to literally set to destroy the church. So that's where we catch up with, with Alma the younger, the sons of Mosiah. They're out trying to destroy the church and they're causing all sorts of problems. The beautiful thing is though, and here's where we see, you know, instead of having these two um, opposing points of view, right? The people are praying for him. The people are praying for him. And, um, the angel tells him, he says, the only reason I'm here is because the prayers of your father and the prayers of the, the saints. And so that's, that to me wraps it all up. <laughs> um, that number one, you know, there is a possible way of looking at the story and seeing that there's a completely understandable reason why a human would be so angry and so just, Maybe can't even. I mean, we all know humans that have gone through some pretty traumatic things, and they're angry people. And you can't always make sense out of it. It doesn't make sense to you when they try to explain because we can reason through it because we're not there. Um, so it's entirely possible to see Alma the Younger through a new lens of of like, man, this this kid went through a lot. But then it's also a beautiful thing to be able to see Alma going, even if it means my son. This is what the Lord said, and this is what has to happen. Right. No excuses. No excuses. Okay. So the people that are the hardliners, they go, yeah, they're out. You're on to something because the Lord did say, no, they can't be here. But what was the thing that brought them back? It was that they didn't close the book on them and just go sinner, adulterer, um, you know, whatever, th- thief, murder, you know, whatever, whatever the label we want to put. Right. They didn't just do that. They began to pray, and they prayed such that— you know, the angel had no, no, I mean, he had to come and, and be an answer to that prayer. And to me, that was just a, a beautiful kind of a, a deeper perspective into, into that whole story, because I think we, like I said, we tend to read scripture and we, we side up. And I remember in fourth grade, having a Sunday school t- or a guest to our Sunday school talking about the Lamanites and the Nephites talking about Nephi and Laman. And she said, well, we're like Nephi, and you know, the Lamanites, they're the bad guys. And, and that's perfect for a kid because you know, I was already determined that I was, you know, I was on the rebellion, not the empire. You know, yeah. I, was, I was Superman, not Lex Luthor. You know, so it's really easy to go you know, good guy versus bad guy. And so, but that tainted the way I read scripture all throughout my life until one day you know, I'm reading about Laman and Lemuel, and I realize, okay, here you have guys who— um, are religious some days, angry other days. Some days they have murder in their heart. Some days they're repentant. Some days they encounter angels, you know, angelic visitations. Um, and, and you just start going through the description of Laman and, and Lemuel, and I think I am so much more closer to their <laughs> kind of partial, you know, faith. And, and it's so easy to look at them as the evil, vile, bad guy. And you're like, well, actually, I think they were probably just midline people. 
you know, and I know that it ends with, with murderous rage. And I guess who knows that some of our stories don't end that way, but, but what, but what, instead of maybe being like, well, we're the, like, we're the Nephites and they're the Lamanites. It's like, we are all Nephites and Lamanites. Exactly. And, right? Yeah. And, and that's where and it that's, just takes, you don't know what it takes in someone's life to flip them to, uh, I'm a full fledged Lamanite rebellious, you know? Right. And that's so, that's what you brought out when you shared this story. It says almost children were right. persecuted. Right. And then they grow up and like you said, you know, they go through all of these things that are happening where they were prosperous at one time. And it's like, why? Why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? Well, that's that's enough right there to turn someone's heart against God. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a bad experience in college, whether it's uh, you know, uh molestation by someone you trust, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, someone I loved ran off with someone else or, uh, my parents got a divorce. So many factors in our life can come in and just, we feel justified in saying, that's it. I'm writing God off because based on my sense of right and wrong, a loving God wouldn't allow this to happen. Mm Mm-hmm. But we see behavior throughout this whole thing of people of the church who took a took a stance and said, "No, you can't be this way and, and remain among the church and separate." But we're going to continue to pray for you. And so then, the other thing I always thought about was, why did God love Alma and those people more than other people? Like, why did He go to such lengths to bring back Alma and the sons of Mosiah to Him? Why did he send an angel to them? And is he going to give that same opportunity to everybody? And we don't know that, but we do know the background a little bit more now that you brought out was like, it wasn't just uh, black and white. This guy was evil from birth. I mean, we see that there were things in his life that happened. And so God continually reaches out, continually reaches out the hand of mercy to pull yeah. someone back. And he was probably, it sounds like at the one of the worst places you can be, he knew he was destined to be destroyed Mm -hmm. during that experience. And then he realized how gracious God was to save him from that, which gave him allegiance to him for the rest of his life. Just like Paul, just like Paul, Paul was, Paul knew he had blood on his hands Mm -hmm. and he thought he was righteous, but he was so far from righteous. He was so far from righteous. And when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and saw this, his old self was gone, you know, and, and the apostles were like, eh, I don't know. Is this, this is the guy that was killing them? And he's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I know I did that, but who cares? I'm, I'm, you know, I've met well, Jesus. And he, yeah, Paul had to, he was on his own for a while, really trying to, you know, earn back the, the trust mm-hmm. and things like that. But yeah, with, you know, with the story with Alma, and like I said, the, the conversation that we had going through it all again, I just, my heart broke for the guy. And I realized that it wasn't about, you know, imagining the whole thing taking place and I can just insert myself on the side of the good guys. Right. Um, but, uh, it was about realizing that I hope that in my times of rebellion, in my times of anger and, and, and rejecting God, I hope that there's somebody praying for me. I hope that there's somebody begging for my soul and, 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 I hope that I can be that person too. And so, you know, you go back to, you know, talking about all the, the forgiveness and the things like that. That's why we have to forgive because for us to succeed and to, to, to be the people God wants us to be, we've got to be praying for the Alma, the youngers, regardless of how badly they've hurt us, whether personally or corporately, 
we've got to be able to 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 beg those kinds of prayers on their right. behalf. And if the people of the church at that time had started to uh, have grudges and anger towards them, they would end up in the same position that, mm-hmm. that I was in. Like, well, they're my enemies, and my sins are not as bad as Alma and the brothers persecuting the church, so I have a right to be angry right. and to separate them in my heart from the people I really love. But Amen. they didn't. They prayed for him. Yeah. And this is a guy who you know, I mean, it can, I think it's safe to assume that growing up with Alma Sr., he was mm-hmm. baptized, he was raised, he knew the stories, he knew the, you know, and somewhere in, in that good upbringing, there was, like we say, there was something that happened that that probably justifiably really screwed with his heart. And, yeah, or and, a series of things. Yeah. He's like, and, enough's enough. Right, you know? and allows doubt to set in. And I just want people to be able to read the story and go, I can connect with this guy. I can relate. But here's the thing is when it was all said and done, I mean, the ultimate answer to prayer wasn't that the angel interrupted their day. The ultimate answer to prayer was that he spent three days with Jesus and that he woke and he was singing a song of redeeming love. And and then, like I said, how the story started was we know the man that he became. He was woke. He was woke. There's a please no. Is this like the pop culture term now? Woke. Are you woke? I don't, I don't even know what it, it's like. It's like this enlightened, like, well, we know better. But yeah, Alma was woke, man. We all need to be woke to Jesus. And, and yeah, um, absolutely. Fact, but at, going back to the beginning, you said Jesus was, um, or you know, they were prospering in the land, but because God loved them, He continued to yeah. chasten them. And then, so you look that through all of these bad things, through Alma and, and being made, you know, persecuted by other children and bullied growing up, and turns his heart on God. Through all of this, God brings out this wonderful missionary that then changes a the life of hundreds, countless numbers of people. Mm-hmm. And we have His recorded writings and His insights into heaven and eternity and he knows God. And so Absolutely. we have his we have his words to give us insight into who our God is and our creator, one of the greatest writers of any books of scripture in, on the face of the planet. Mm-hmm. All through the fact that God didn't just let this society go along and feel like, you know, we want things to be okay and we're doing okay and, and why should we suffer and why should a pandemic come and shut us all <laughs> down and everything when right. We're trying to do what's right. And he's like, because I love you, I'm chastening you, and I have a bigger purpose through all of this. Yeah. And that's where I hope this story goes for anybody listening. In this day and age or wherever you find yourself, because wherever you are in the world, whenever you are in the world right now, there's something. There's a COVID-19. There's a there's a civil war. There's mm-hmm. there's a famine. There's a hard heart against the brothers. Right. There's something. And what it, you know, this always goes back to, this whole story goes back to where we began where it says, you know, like you said, nevertheless, the Lord seeth fit to chasten his people. He tries their patience and their faith. Nevertheless, whosoever puts his trust in him, the same shall be lifted up at the last day. And that's, we see that played out in this story is that yeah. in the last day, when all was said and done, you know, these people were lifted up. And that's, that's our goal. Our goal is not, hear, hear me, brothers and sisters, our goal is not to put blame on anybody for COVID-19 or whoever's doing this or that. And I'm so saddened by the amount of, of Christians that I see brothers and sisters who are, who get so angry so quickly over the, you know, whether it's political or, or however you see this, the people that are going to be rewarded in the end are those who put their trust in God, regardless of the, um, 
the 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 plague or whatever it is that that we might happen to be going through at that time. And so we have got to be a people who exhibit that right you know, that trust. And whether that means we figure out how to deal with sin in the body lovingly and prayerfully, um, or you know just just exhibiting that that even in the face of of you know not having toilet paper for a week or whatever that we're still able to to put our trust in God and yeah. that is what is important for the people in the body of Christ. And this today's we're, we're drawing to a close here with today's episode. I don't know if you listened to last week's or not uh, that we we had on learning to fly. Uh, we talked a, a bit towards the end of that one about um, how Corey. Uh, when he got his pilot's license, he was always wishing for calm skies when he was up in the plane, you know, and he mm-hmm. realized this is not how I'm going to learn to be a good pilot. I have to wish for turbulent, you know, stormy, you know, add opposition while I'm learning with my instructor so that when those things come, I know how to handle them. But if I have a, just a clear, smooth sailing every day and, you know, he's off by his own sometime and, uh, and something bad happens, then what have you learned? So yeah. when you're learning to fly, you can't, you can't wish you need turbulence. You got to wish. And so that's what right. God is. He brought turbulence among Alma and those people. And through it all, um, you know, his purposes right. were. And that's, you know, if, if Corey, I don't, I, unfortunately I didn't get to hear the, I haven't caught up to that episode yet. Did you lead in with Tom Petty? Um, I let out with Pink Floyd. <laughs> oh, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the title. I thought that song, no, but you know, if there was a, if, if, you know, had there been a chance when Corey was flying and he saved a plane full of people because he knew how to fly through a storm, he was thankful for his his past right. experiences with turbulence. And I wouldn't if, be surprised if that story's in there somewhere. It pro- <laughs> That's a knowing Corey, <laughs> it'll come up just, so casually. Oh, yeah. It's funny because off the cuff, we're just talking about things. He's like, yeah, back in you know, 97, I thought I need to get a pilot's license and learn how to fly. I've got this job out in California. It'd be easier to fly there. So I just went and learned how to fly. I, you know, yeah, just, just like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a good week. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I envy that. But that's, I think we need to be able to to change the, shift the way we look at that and, and look back at the times of trial and times of struggle, even in the church. And there's so much anger and bitterness that has gone on over these last 20 some years boy, almost 30 years, I guess, that I think there's going to come a time when we have humbled ourselves, we've met together and experienced. I mean, I feel like I've been told and promised that that day is going to come when we do gather together and we may have to be a completely broken people, but we're going to come together and realize that all that we've gone through has led us to this moment. And I think we might even find ourselves thankful that um, there were these trials and struggles to kind of you force us into that, that lane that we needed to be in. So, yeah. Um, and in the meantime, we have to pray for those. We have to pray desperately for those that, that have strayed and Lord, I hope someone's praying for me. Yeah. <laughs> I will not, um, like I said, I'm not going to jump, throw myself into the crowd of the, of the, the righteous, um, Zoramites, but, but except that I too am a, a son of Messiah. I'm an Alma the younger and I need, I need your prayers. I need to be, um, encountered, and I need to have my life disrupted um, on a daily basis. Uh, it's something the Holy Spirit has to help us with because it's it's one of those things where you say pray for your enemies and let's pray for those. And it's like if your heart's not, I mean, <laughs> that's not natural. It's really not. No. And so it's a blessing from the Holy Spirit that it comes and allows us to, to repent. Well, thank you, brother, for uh, coming and sharing today. Um, 
me have you back again if you're willing to. Anytime. I know Corey's Corey's pretty busy right now, and uh, he'll be back with us again. But um, until then, we want to keep inviting people into conversation about the things of eternity. There's nothing better to focus on, especially in these times. So hope it's been a blessing. And uh, you want to lead us out with our reminder of what we're doing? We're just walking each other home. There you go. With Willie Nelson Briggs. (laughs)